And we're here for another week of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name's Alon. That's right, and my name's Ara. And what is it? Today is the the fourth, the day after the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, that thing. Did you watch that? I watched approximately twenty seconds of that. You know, I had a little bit of fun with that because I, I, uh, before the game started, I was saying to the people around me, "Hey, you know, I hear, uh, I think the Ravens are going to win because there's this whole like historical thing about." There's some team, and I don't remember which team, and the first game they've played for the last for the previous three years ended up being against the Super Bowl winner that year, and that this year that team played the Ravens, one of the teams competing in the Super Bowl. So I said, the Ravens are going to win based on this small sample size recent history. I think that's what um, Madden predicted, by the way. Uh, I think so as well. I th- and, Although it was a close game. Well, yeah. I just, it was, was close it? in the real thing, too, but higher scoring. Um, but all the people around me just laughed at me. That laughed. the Ravens would win? No, 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 no. The 49ers have it in the bag. Well, you know, I only learned about who was playing about of those 20 seconds that I watched, about 10 seconds into watching it. Yeah, well, you and I aren't so different. And, and me and Johnny were um, actually eating lunch. <laughs> Sort sort of late lunch, um, at that time, and uh, and then I, I I learned about who was actually playing, and I was like, well, since I'm from Maryland, I guess I'll have to root for. Well, you won. Yeah, so I won. So yeah. if I was a betting man, and often um, I am, actually not often, <laughs> on occasion I am. Um, I should have bet for the Ravens. Well, you you would have made out well, uh, but it was just funny because everyone yelled at me, and then. I, uh, I turned out to be right, so that was it's always good. The I told you so bit. Yes, and apparently I've also heard that um, you know if you were in Vegas, you could uh, take bets on how long the uh, singing of the national anthem was. I d- I didn't know that. Yes, yes. that's among, something I assume you could find out in advance. Among them, well, it's you know the actual length. I don't know how cool, like how many, like if they got down to the second or the tenth of a second, you know. Did but you know that there was a blackout during the Super Bowl? I did hear about that too. It would have been funny if they were like, "All right, how long is the blackout going to last? <laughs> what electrical malfunction will occur this next Super Bowl? Place yeah. your bets." Anyway, this has nothing to do about video games, but it's how I spent my yesterday. Um, that was, you know. And please fantastic. rest assured that we will no longer be talking about football for the remainder of the program. Or the life of the show, probably. <laughs> yeah, until next year when we talk about it for five yeah. seconds. So so what are we going to cover today? You got a couple games that you just played? Yeah, so there's... Um, I was, I, I was, I've been inspired to talk about some related subjects based on a couple of couple demos I was just playing. So that Revengeance demo, Metal Gear Solid Revengeance, right? Yeah, this, by the way, for people who don't listen frequently, this is our theme to talk about games that are many, many months old. Right. I guess the demo just came out. What? Anyway, <laughs> it just it, what it reminded me of. I don't really want to talk about the game itself, and, and neither uh, the next one, the the cave, as much as I do something really interesting that it reminded me of. Right. So, in particular, like what really struck me when I was playing this demo for Revengeance was not as much the fifteen minute introduction cinematic which is like um, maybe going a little easy based on uh, Metal Gear Solid's previous installments. It was just, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, gosh, this is just so beautiful looking. And there's just been like so much time and effort was put into this. And, you know, maybe the script's not the, the greatest Did thing you never world, see Metal Gear Solid 4? I mean, it didn't it look just as good? Um, no, I don't think I played 4 in the... Wasn't that Snake Eater? No, that was no, three. That was three. No, totally missed four. Yeah, Metal Gear Solid. I think I played like an hour of it and never went back to it. And I really yeah. should go back and play, but I, I don't know. Like it's in a box in my garage or something. I don't even know where it is. Yeah. So the thing that really stood out to me, right, was that like it just it was just so clear that like so much effort's been put into this thing, and visually, I mean, it's it is a, as my friend likes to say, it is a it's truly a feast for the senses. I mean, it looks beautiful. It's very smooth. You know, many, many, many aspects of it are just top-notch shit here, right? And then I start playing, and I'm sure that there's some layer of depth and technique to it. And of that, I have no doubt, right? But just to experience that and then to experience the gameplay, which 
basically just consisted of move forward toward enemies and smash buttons. Yeah, but you know, so we had talked about this. Is but let me let me finish my thought though, right? Yeah. I I just the thing that leapt into my mind was just this idea, this thought that like they put so much effort into this thing and on the layer of what's actually happening as a game, like almost like so little is actually happening, right? And all the effort's been put into like all these things that are what I consider ancillary aspects of a game. And it's been very rare that I've seen like such a stark juxtaposition like that, right? And I just kind of think to myself like, this is kind of a waste. Like I kind of want to watch Metal Gear Revengeance, the movie, and enjoy all this. But the amount of like depth and interestingness that like in terms of like game decisions that it's providing me is just so minimal. And I'm just like, yeah, I haven't played it enough to really know, but I can tell you that people would say the same thing about the Ninja Gaiden series and about, you know, uh, any Namco fighting game. That's just a bunch button masher. Yeah. And so it's quite possible. There's something that we, we haven't experienced with it. That would be much deeper, right? And I can tell you, like, there was the part we played during the tutorial where you can choose to swing the sword in exactly the direction that you're swiping the, the joystick. Right, right. And it it changes the effect of, like, the, the thing that – the signpost or the, the piece of wood that you're slicing, right? It actually slices along the line the path of the sword that, right. that you provide. So there's actually a gameplay conceit for you to do that. Which yeah, we, now we know at the time. I couldn't find a reason like why you would yeah. care, well, here, well, but I could the, tell that it did yeah, in here's, the game, here's which the is reason. which is rare. Apparently, you can uh, if you cut off the left hands of enemies, that that is like an item that you can sell to uh, this doctor guy. Seriously. So yeah, so they've I mean they've they've very very I don't know if I want to go so far as to say exquisite, but almost exquisitely crafted like the conceit of the story around. Uh, these gameplay features, you know, and it's just like it's so professionally done. And you're right, though. Um, maybe there's just more depth. And because, you know, I'm a naive player to the game, I just don't see it yet. Um, but it's funny because some games I'll see, I'll play for five minutes and instantly I'm like, I can tell that there's going to be a lot of depth coming up. And other games, it's just not that apparent. Yeah, well, you know, that is the job of the game to to convince you that it's worth playing to draw you in and unfortunately I, I think so too. metal gear at least with these demos like I, I think it draws you in with the cinematics and what you were saying is the the ancillary points of the game right rather than the gameplay itself right and uh the the problem is we don't know if it actually has the depth and could have presented it in a different way right or if it doesn't have it at all because neither of us have actually that's actually true played and this it thoroughly is, enough this is one of the intrinsic difficulties with the with depth in general, right? It's because depth, in, by, just by its nature, it's not very salient and it's inherently inaccessible. And you have to spend time with something before you can figure out what depth there is or isn't, right? But the problem is, I mean, how dissatisfying is that if you... We usually don't spend our time with things that we don't expect there to be some kind of payoff afterwards. Yeah, right? I think that's what I meant to say, that it's like, it's the job of the game or the demo to make you want to keep playing and to yeah. show you that, that it's there. But how, how interesting is it, right, that like the typical um, the typical commercial thing to do, right, is to draw you in with graphics, whereas for people who actually play, play for gameplay, um, they, they do not get drawn in just by graphics. And admittedly, there's far fewer of us than the other kind. Yeah, well, that said, I think we do still get drawn in by graphics a certain amount. Like, well, we were just talking amount, about how beautiful the game is. Right? Yeah, but still, like, I wasn't compelled to play. It just made this juxtaposition all that more stark, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, what I just said before, right? Okay, so what's the other game you played? That was interesting. Um, so this other game is The Cave. It's a double fine game, right? And it's, uh, it is in the vein of previous tim schaefer ron gilbert games although I, this one i believe is is mostly ron gilbert so i should say i've heard the title the cave yeah but don't actually know anything about it and in general i've never been terribly impressed by double fine games or at least i've never enjoyed them much right well although that, i know the rest of the world loves them yeah well their whole thing right which you know it's totally okay if you're if it's your thing or if it's not your thing but their whole thing is 
you know, the expression of a certain kind of personality through characters and story. And yeah. it just happens to be done in a conceit of a game. And the problem is, is that usually structurally the kinds of games that they produce involve a lot of trial and error of basically using items on things and, and making kind of like lateral lateral thinking puzzles about like, okay, I got to use, you know, this on that to make this other thing happen. And usually it's sometimes it's not logical, right? And that's where the lateral thinking comes in. And anyway, right, some people love that stuff. Some people love the personality of their characters and stories so much that they they trudge through all of the bad interaction type stuff. And Yeah, I have a hard time with that. I don't I don't know if anybody actually likes that type of interaction. And it was I was kind of disheartened because um this one, right, the cave smacks of like all of these things, right? Um, you know, you start the game, there's a narrator, the narrator's like the cave, like the cave is talking to you, right? What? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really cool conceit, you know, it's really, it's really quirky, it has a lot of personality, it's really engrossing, you know, it's just, he talks about like, oh, you know, you know like, you know, how, like going on dates is hell when you're a cave. You're, you're <laughs> not kidding me. No, that's what he says, you know, and, he, and you know, and, and, you know, you don't find out right away that, I mean, I spoiled it a little bit. You don't find out right away that it's the cave narrating. When you first start, you find out a couple seconds into it. Um, and anyway, like, this game seems to involve basically a bunch of characters where you, you pick three at a time. And they um, you kind of switch between them Lost Viking style. And you kind of need to basically work with three characters to accomplish stuff to let you progress. All right. We'll be, we'll be right back. Then you can tell me more. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. And uh, we're talking about what are we talking? the cave, the cave, the cave, the games that I don't, I don't like that the much. Ones that you don't like. So I, just, I want to illustrate something. This is not a commentary on. This is not a review of the cave. Okay, but this is a small exposition to illustrate my point about these nonsensical interactive things that happen in these types of games very frequently. So in the beginning, very very beginning of the game, right? You, you, know, you go into the cave. Apparently, the cave has a gift shop at the beginning, right? Um, and there's this shopkeeper, and he's like, "Oh, go go into the employees only area, and you know, retrieve these three things for me or whatever, right?" And so you go down this route through this cave, and of course, right? There's there's a, a manner of like obstacles where you have to like pick up items and use them on things and carry from this place to that place and so on. Anyway, there's this one thing where there's this um, – it's like a fuse, right? And you got to um, – you have to pick up this fuse and take it from one position to another position on the map, right? And the first time I tried to pick up the fuse, I died, right? And I'm like, well, what's going on, right? The funny thing is I died a few times, right? And finally at one point the cave was like talking, right? And he's like, okay, I think right now you're just trying to have fun with dying, <laughs> Okay. That that was pretty that was pretty worth it. Like that was pretty hilarious. Um 
This is the kind of stuff that people love, I think, about these games. Yeah, well, I can't say that I don't enjoy the humor in it. I just yeah. don't enjoy the game. Fair, and that's, that's the driver for me. I'm so with you. I'm so with you. So let me continue, right? So so I'm like, oh, well, why why is this, uh, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remove, I'm trying to press the use button when my character's in front of this fuse and I get electrocuted, right? And so I didn't, none of these things were apparent to me at the start. But what I'd figured out, right, after trial and error was that, oh, well, there's these drops that are dropping onto the fuse and they're making some kind of effect, right? And so I'm getting electrocuted because the fuse is wet, right? But their device to communicate that the fuse was wet was totally insufficient, right? Because I just thought that these, they're just, okay, well, I'm in a cave. They're just going to be drops, right? I didn't realize that. Here's the funny thing. Like, I just thought that the drops there were just there for effect, right? Whereas the developer thought that the drops there were intended to convey the idea that I'm not allowed to touch this because it's it's, it's electric and it's it's okay. wet. But it's not shorting out because it's connected to another device the switch of which is immediate to the left of it that always works. So there's water dropping on it, but it's not shorting out. So that doesn't make sense, right? Here's more nonsense. Apparently, in order to actually... Uh, remove this thing, what you have to do, this fuse. It's funny because when you said fuse originally, I thought yeah. you meant like the fuse to dynamite or something. I didn't understand oh, the electric relation. Yeah. So it's like a it's like a fuse. Yes, like in a that fuse would go box. in a fuse box. Yeah. Okay. So so anyway, um, there's nothing I could do. The only item around was this bucket, right? So I don't know if you made the connection, but see, when I found the bucket, I didn't make the connection before about all this water rigmarole that I just told you about. I mean, well, yeah, since you brought it up. Right. <laughs> so anyway, the, thing, the other thing that didn't make any sense is that if you bring the, the bucket to the fuse and you press the action button, right? And this is, this is the problem is that context, like, these very severely contextualized actions occur that you – it's it's hard to predict what will happen. And what happened in this case was that the character took the bucket and placed it on top of the container of the fuse, thereby preventing the drops of water from directly hitting the fuse. And now I can safely take the fuse out and use it. But how can you get under the bucket to access the fuse? Well, no, the fuse is just like a it's just like this thing in an electrical box, right? So it's just like it's just this box that's being gripped upon by water. Anyway, like this is the funny thing is like it shouldn't take this long for me to describe what's happening, right? But this, this is like, there's all this like idiosyncratic subtlety into the way things work that is hard to understand what's happening. And all their attempts to basically communicate this conceit, like they, they pretty much fail because it's so contextually specific. Even on the very first screen, right, there's a crowbar. There's a crowbar on the right. Right, and I pick up this crowbar. It took me five minutes to figure out how to leave like the first set of screens. That that's another reason I totally hate these games. Yeah, well, this is what happened. Right, this crowbar. Right, okay. First, like I start off, move to the right because that's what you normally do. Right, that's the default thing to do. So I find the crowbar to the right, and then there's this wooden panel to the right of that. Right, and I'm like, oh, obviously I'm supposed to use the crowbar on this piece of wood to get into the cave. Right, uh, uh-uh. uh. No, that's just the solid wall, right? It's how I tried with all seven characters hanging out there to use the crowbar, which to people who have played this game will probably say to themselves, Ara, that's really stupid. Why did you do that, right? But this is the kind of thing where if you're naive, if you're naive to the system of how the game works, you'll get stuck in these situations all the time. Apparently, I had to go left because the entrance of the cave was to the left. Uh, and who, then use who, the crowbar. Who would have thought? Who, who would have thought? Yeah. Right? So... Figured it out by basically brute force, trial and error, and that was pretty unpleasant. And those kinds of things continue to be unpleasant no matter how good games get. And they, okay. And I don't think that we should do them. <laughs> but that's what, – what is weird to me is that so many people love these these Double Fine games that all have stuff like that. Yeah. Like I remember playing Stacked. And I got to say, like, I liked Stack for its presentation, for the idea of the character. Do you know what Stack is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess for those who don't know, I assume everyone knows what Russian nesting, nesting dolls yeah, are. Yeah, it's the Matryoshka dolls. Yeah. So stack in Stack, you play as these dolls, but then you can stack with other dolls that you meet in the game. 
and then like different dolls will have different unique powers and so when you stack with them you take their power and then so like you can have a few that you carry around with you right but why wouldn't you just have all the powers all the time that's interesting right but the one on the outside is the one that's represented so you can have a few of them right and then uh so like you can open up and go to a smaller one that was inside of you and then you're that guy i think uh, it's actually been a while so i hope i'm getting it right maybe i have it mixed up but i think that's how it works um but it all had stupid stuff like that like okay well i know i need to get into this particular room that's locked and how do I do it? Oh, well, there's this gate over here, you know, this like air vent. And if I use the small enough doll, then I can get through the air vent. But first I have to like break it off the wall. And it's just these things like, how do you do it? Because it's not obvious. You just have to walk throughout the whole world until you find something that maybe if you think hard enough could be used. Right. Well, the thing that's upsetting to me, and this is why I mentioned the term lateral thinking challenges was that, it's not like the kind of puzzle that you can figure out through logic because obviously, like I, know, I was describing the last example, there's things happening that are illogical, right? You have to just kind of like – you just have to be the kind of person who just doesn't worry about things making complete sense and you know, just try random things and think outside of the box and you, know, you can use a bucket on you know, a fuse box and that mean, that's meaningful somehow. And Yeah. No, I get it. That's weird. And it's it's one of the things that frustrates me. Um, What does not frustrate me, though, is reminding everyone about our sponsor, the University of Advancing Technology, and their website, uat.edu. I do that that every show. You know what also doesn't frustrate me? More interesting topics? Yes. Yeah. Now, we only have a couple minutes left, but I got to say, are we going to talk about the one you emailed me about? No, I wanted to do Mm -hmm. a – I think we have just enough time to talk about the arcade. Arcade. Yes. Yes. And then after that, we will talk about a different arcade. Sure. So this past, uh, here in Phoenix, um, downtown this past Friday, there was a showing of this thing called the Arcade, which was basically a bunch of classic arcade games that had taken um, these bunch of artists. Basically, each artist was given an arcade game, and many of them hadn't even seen or played the games before. And they were tasked to create original art for the cabinet itself, like the physical honking seven-foot-tall cabinet. Yeah. Back in the day, every arcade machine had its own unique art on the sides. I mean, nowadays people don't really make arcade games, so it's irrelevant. But uh, games would have special art on the sides. And there's a certain group of people who love the art of, like, super old retro games and stuff. You right. Know? So this was, this was pretty cool. Um, it was really interesting because, right, every artist just did whatever they wanted. You know, it was... And I was talking to one of them, right? And he actually explained to me how they came to do this, right? In fact, what happened was that this guy who was trying to restore all these arcade games found that it was not possible or it was extremely cost prohibitive and also just physically prohibitive to track down the actual original art. So restoring to original was a huge, huge problem. So he came up with this idea. People do sell like vinyl artwork that you can apply to the sides of these machines. Well, they do, but apparently it was really hard to find. It's hard and expensive to find the right ones for these classic games. Okay. So anyway, that led as the impetus for um, them just saying, well, we'll just freaking do our own art. And and they did. And, um, you know, some were all right. Some were really cool. The Neo Geo, there's a Neo Geo cabinet that was very, very nicely done. Um, the thing that I have to say, though, the most meaningful takeaway that I had was um, this Turtles, I think it was Turtles in Time, this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cabinet that this one person did. And the most beautiful thing about it was that, you know you know how that has a huge honking like panel for the sticks? You yeah, because like it's, it's a full four-player? Really, yeah. I don't even remember. But the, even, even on the other ones, right? I mean, the panel's like bigger than normal for where the joysticks are located. And the art that was under the plexiglass was basically this photograph of, like, the greasiest pepperoni pizza you could imagine. <laughs> and I just thought this was, like, a beautiful art artistic statement because, like, you don't want to touch it because it's, like, it looks so greasy that you get your hands greasy and you don't want to touch it to get your hands It greasy. took me – like, at first I thought, well, it must have been housed in a, a pizza restaurant. And that's a, a strong connection between Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and pizza. This is true also. So maybe that's why they did it. 
Well, I, I I was hoping that I mean it's like I don't know it's it's a pretty meaningful statement I think it's at least more meaningful than just drawing random art. Okay, so we'll be right back. We're back. We're back for another segment. We're going to talk about Xbox Live Indie Games. And uh, I, I got to say, so you you uh, told me to read this article before... Did I call it an article? This, yeah, this it's an article. A blog guest, post. Guest post on Gama Sutra. Uh, so before the show, you had me read this. And it was very difficult because in terms of grammar and English, it was poorly written. But the content was good. The content was good. But it started off with a revelation. I, I was not aware... Of a change that okay. I guess has been announced, and bef- well, before I before you say that, maybe this is what you're trying to say. What? <laughs> but they basically like XNA is basically over. Exactly. Like, yeah. XNA is is apparently gone. At and least as of next year, it's like a support. But I guess stopping support for something doesn't mean that you can't use the tools anymore. They haven't said that indie games is going away. Uh yeah, but maybe they will soon. But I mean. I think that's what everybody's bracing for. And basically what that, right, like XNA is the platform that you make these Xbox Live yeah, Indie it's, games Yeah, it's on. the development toolkit that you use to make the games that go on indie, on Xbox Live Indie games. Um, and if they're killing it off, it makes me fearful that the next Xbox, which is, you know, supposedly going to be announced soon, is just not going to have this option, which makes... I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I don't want to say it makes sense, but like, yeah. it doesn't surprise me that it would go away. But it's upsetting that it would go away. I'm totally agree with you on both of yeah. those counts. And um, this article is written by, I guess, so his name is Thomas something Steinke. I, I don't have the wrong. One. Okay, it's Thomas Steinke, who I guess uh, started or works for Digital DNA. Well, he's the owner of Digital DNA. Okay, and, and they happen to be the highest grossing uh, Xbox Live indie game developer. Yeah, which made him a qualified source to talk about this stuff. And and what he talked about was what was wrong with Xbox Live Indie Games, like the whole platform in general. Right. And he goes into a lot of detail that most people aren't aren't aware of. And uh, before going into any of that, any of the details, let me let me ask you, as someone who I assume has basically only seen Xbox Live Indie Games from the outside, just like myself. Right. Um, first of all, would you have perceived it as a general success? And... Uh, why or why not, I suppose, is what I want to follow up with. Yeah. Well, it's. I've always looked at it as just a complete trash bin for yeah. the most part. And I always wondered why there was so much crap on there and why the signal to noise ratio is so bad. And now we have reasons. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, there's a number of reasons. And it's not just because. It was indie games. It wasn't just because it was like beginners making games. In fact, as as we'll learn very shortly, it was because the way the system was constructed itself just resulted in a very craptastic yeah, so barrage there, of titles. There's a number of things that that you can do as as the gatekeeper for this, meaning Microsoft. Right. A number of things you can do to uh, to to basically kill it right you, there are things you can do that create a system such that the the natural the natural path that that people will take will lead to uh failure or not and then whether or not you do that there are other things you can do that can can hurt it more or less right so like if you don't market it if you don't make it very visible within the operating system of the xbox or whatever your platform is um that could hurt it more than basic rules but there. My, the point I'm making is that there are some very fundamental things that you have to do right to begin with, yeah, if the, regardless of the marketing and the presentation. The way that the system turns out, and by system I mean the system of the ecosystem people, right, is a 
is a consequence of the laws that you've started it with, right? And this, I kind of feel like it's basically like, like you know, if uh, if I can make a comparison to the universe, right? It's just like it's like God like set up the universe with this really shitty set of rules where like, you know, I don't know, like instead of us, well. I don't know. We're not the greatest examples of humans, but I'm, I'm, I'm going a, off on a tangent. Yeah. I'm going gonna, gonna to boil it down. They wanted to give people the up. I guess we'll talk about the specifics that he puts in this article in a bit, but I'm going to say in advance that I believe the issue is related to, to this. First of all, they wanted to make a system where people could make their own games. I'm not sure what, their reasoning was for that to begin with. I don't know if it was just to get the community to like them or to get to find talent to make games for Xbox Live Arcade. It may have been just somebody's pet project that, you know, he just had enough, uh, like, political power to be able to pull it off, and he just decided that this was something that would be valuable for the community. Yeah, that's that's actually really possible. Understanding the politics of corporations, that's totally an option. Um, But... The problem is that they weren't willing to put any money behind it. As you read this article, you see step after step after step. With w- when you read between the lines, you realize they they put enough money in to like Fuck it up. develop and, and release <laughs> XNA to give people the power that they need, but they weren't willing to put any money into uh, the perpetuation of the service because, like, they specifically set up rules that kept them out of the peer review process. And the peer review process is whether or not your game shows up for purchase, right? That is absolutely important. So right now, with a real game, meaning Xbox Live Arcade or, or disc-based, right. you have to be approved by Microsoft. They have all these rules that you have to check off. What are they called? TSRs well, or something? I mean, those are like standards. Those are, But those, that, is, that is not the means in which they decide whether a game is going to be... Um, okay, but well, one of the things you have to do... lit. Like, they give you a, a specific set of rules for how your game... Certain things your game needs they to have, do. They have like they have they have certain things that they like, right? And but it, ultimately, it's basically down to like somebody who decides who is kind of like a gatekeeper. You know what? Let's call it the Nintendo Seal of Quality. Everyone knows what that is. All right. There's the Nintendo Seal of Quality. It has that little gold thing, and it means Nintendo said this game was good enough to release on our system, right? Based on whatever we like it enough, it has all the it fulfills all of the obligations and rules and whatever. Great, it's good enough. We say it is, and now it's released for sale. Let me tell you, a couple of years ago at GDC, I, I listened to this woman who was, if not the person in charge, one of the people in charge for basically green lighting games. And she gave a lecture about like what are all the things that we like to see, quote unquote, in games that are proposed for this system. And it was just the most insipid thing. Really? Right. I mean, every every like bad stereotype you can think about about somebody who doesn't understand games and uh, wants to see in a game, like it's there. Right. It's like it's like multiplayer always better than not multiplayer. Shit like that. Okay. Anyway, continue. So, where was I? Okay. So there's this there's the seal of quality. I use the Nintendo because it's sort of the thing that everyone recognizes from back in the day, at least if you're our age. Right. But Microsoft, Sony, they all have this thing. Okay, you can release the game on our system by following a bunch of rules and having a public, making a good quality game, blah, blah, blah. They set up something on the surface, we'll say, is similar, where it's peer review. But they made it, apparent, according to this article, such that they won't get involved even if there's arguments. They're just like, we're going to create this system so that people can contribute games. And then these other people who are also contributing games will decide if it is good enough to release or not. They'll pass or fail it. And it's all peer review. And because apparently of some legal rules, they don't want to get involved. They, they just let it happen. Right. And if there's some argument, if something goes wrong, cause there's moderators too, like MVP users and they have some power and apparently they have a whole lot of power. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot of power. And apparently they didn't get paid anything, which also means they're kids. <laughs> which means they're emotional, they're not very professional, they have no, no, since they're not getting paid, they have no real reason to do anything properly. Right. They just do it based on what they want. And uh, so they created the system that is just going to be fraught with problems. Like he said, he, he wouldn't want to, as an ethical person, rate a game to fail because 
that the person whose game was failed would know that it was him who failed it, which you've got to do because otherwise people would just relentlessly fail things all over the place. So you don't want it to be anonymous. Yeah, this at, is at this the is, same time. Then you don't ever want to fail something because the other person will retaliate. Yeah, this is the most fascinating thing uh, of this whole piece was was the fact how we started describing how okay, well you you have to get what is it seven seven, seven votes pass to get your game approved, but only two votes no would get not approved. And these people who are voting are your direct competitors. And you would think, you would expect that since they're your competitors, that almost no games would make it through because it's in the competitor's best interest to thwart other competitors, right? Yeah. I think it's more like the artist community where everyone wanted to help each other. Yeah, well, that's a, funny enough, right? That's what happened. It was the complete contrary of what you would expect, right? People were actually basically giving each other quid pro quo. It's being like, look, you know, I'll vote for you, you vote for me, you know, we'll help each other out. And I think this is one of the reasons why there's so much crap that came on there because it's like everybody was basically voting just to help each other get their product out versus actually doing anything that had any semblance of the original intent of this system. Yeah, and and so the issue is, like I said, Microsoft didn't want to put money in it. He also mentions that there's always glitches and it would go for weeks without actually updating lists. And so if you released during that time, you'd be screwed because your your game like wouldn't appear or something. Oh, yeah. There was like these holes where like the list would like stop updating. Yeah. And during that period, you would, you're just totally fucked. There's nothing you can do if you're in that time period where the list was broken. Basically. Yeah. And you can't release re-release later, but I don't know what happens once the list is fixed. A- anyway point is like there's glitches which means there's a lack of staff to fix the problems because they're not fixing it quickly they sort of get to it when they get to it there's um there's also uh not not people getting paid to actually do the moderation and if they did then it would have been higher quality um everything about it says to me they they created the system they put in the work they needed to put and then they didn't want to put any more work into it to let it actually thrive and then he brings up other points like there was too small a hurdle to entry like it it costs so little money to to get on the system that people would just make these little things yeah this is really fast yeah this is one of the other kickers right it's like i mean he said uh, i'm not gonna read it exactly but he i mean he said it actually this is probably the most eloquent part of his chill piece actually because of the idiosyncrasies of the system it was actually better for somebody to make in his words a crap location Every two weeks, right, and get a few thousand bucks, then like actually like spending your time on a legitimate, meaningful game for two years and barely making more than the crap locations, which is incidentally, um, <laughs> it's kind of happening on all the mobile platforms, except everybody's making crap locations. A little bit. The thing is, there's there's also good stuff because also he makes the point like you could only charge a certain amount of money. If you can only charge one, three, or five dollars, then you're only going to be seen if you charge one dollar because yeah. you get more purchases, and there's a lot of problems. But I think it all boils down to that Microsoft wasn't willing to support it with their own money, right? And and that's what killed it. If it was more professional, it would have been great. We'll be right back to talk about it more. Are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. Uh, 
And we're back, and we're talking about the demise of Xbox Live in the arcade and how relentlessly broken their system was. Yeah, it it's frustrating because I wanted I I was really really excited that they were doing this. You know what this sounds like? This is like um, it's like somebody's making a game, right? Like think of this like ecosystem as you said, as if it was a game, and they're like, all right, uh, we're gonna have this design, and we're just gonna take one shot. And however it ends up, like, we're just going to design it how we think it's going to happen. And just whatever happens, happens, and we're never going to change it again. That's yeah. what it was like. So I was saying they, they didn't – exactly. Like, they didn't keep trying. They didn't put the resources in. And, and in this article, he points to – like, this was developing at about the same time that the Apple App Store was, was like, coming into its, its own. Like, it was coming to be several years ago when the iPhone started – and nobody knew what it was going to be like. And it's turned out to be really successful, relatively effective. I mean, developers all have their issues. It's hard to get a game. You know, before Christmas, when everybody's putting a game out, it's hard to get it released right away. And yeah. there are some problems. Apple's a little bit vague in some of its rules, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, it's sort of the model of how to do an independent publishing and they didn't marketplace. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not like they just said, "Okay, yeah, these are where I think the switches should go." Okay, that's it, right? Like they yeah, refined it over there's time. people that are paid by Apple to review all these things, and sometimes they get it wrong, but then people make a fuss, and then things get corrected. Yeah, well, that's the right? thing with any complicated system like this. I mean, there's no way that there's no way that your first shot is not going to have a whole bunch of mistakes that you're going to want to correct. No way. It just doesn't happen. It's like it's like this was guaranteed to fail at the start. Yeah. And I it's not the only thing Microsoft has done wrong with their system. Yeah. But I I have said many times on this show before before the Xbox, everyone hated Microsoft. They all thought all the Windows operating systems were broken in some way. We used them because we absolutely had to because it's it was just the standard, but nobody liked them. And over the last several years, the Xbox has come in, the Xbox 360 came in. Everyone I know loves Microsoft now. Like, it's, a, it's almost a total yeah. conversion. And, like, unless you're some Apple fi- fanboy or something, you like Microsoft. You don't think their operating systems are as bad because they have gotten better. Um, and their Xbox makes you think, oh, they're doing the right things. They're giving people money back for broken systems. They're actually making something that works. They're taking feedback. They're being good to the community. All of these things. Uh, other than their current OS with this Connect craziness. Um, and Xbox Live Indie Games, they've done a lot right. But this one, like, it had huge potential. You cater to the audience. It's yeah. a revenue stream for them. It, it uh, the, what's the word? It encourages uh, creativity and, and, like, gives freedom to developers. Like, it, it does so much. Conceptually, it was great, right? It was just the execution that was horrendous. And at that point, I guess you can ask yourself, you know, if the execution was so contrary to anything positive compared to the concept. Like, was it really good for them to do this if it was such and an utter failure? I don't want to not give them credit either. Like, they put a lot of work into setting it up. I mean, they had to create XNA and get it get it in a... In yeah, a, but what what have they done? I mean, they've created, like, they've broke... I'm sure, like, I'm sure there are many, many independent gamer hearts and souls that have been broken as a result of this process. But I mean, they, they also had to create the infrastructure for it and actually implement it into the operating yeah. system of a consumer device. Like, the, a lot happened. Are you saying half-assed is better than no-ass? No, no, no. I just want to say, I don't think they were like, oh, yeah, let's just do this. And like, so they gave some intern a report to write, and then it suddenly turned into this thing. Like, they had to put a lot of work in the beginning. The problem is they didn't go the distance. They sure didn't. And they didn't see the potential in it. And the, the major failure in it is that it still has huge potential. Yeah. And because of, of this, which – and who knows what's going to happen in the future. But I'm guessing this is seen as a failed experiment and will not be, will not be implemented in the future. Like yeah, if they're uh, dropping X and A, they don't know what's happening yeah. with DirectX, what's going to happen with the next Xbox? That's the sad thing is that especially in the corporate world, I'm sure you'll agree with this, right? When something is tried out – and it fails. It's like the third rail. You don't ever want to try it again. And you being like the corporation. And even despite like if you if people can figure out why it went wrong and correct those things, it's like it's like poison. You know, it's like I feel like the idea of independent games, like truly independent games on the console is just been poisoned now. Yeah, it's I'm I'm hoping with the success of the mobile platforms that allow people to really be independent 
like maybe they'll do it do it again and just in a different way it, it would be a huge oversight if they didn't maybe but still it's curious like well how do you mix in the real games that are made by real publishers like with some actual uh effort and funding behind it right how do you separate those? I would, I would still want some separation. Yeah. Well, don't incentivize people to make craplications yeah. for one. Uh, the hurdle was definitely too small. I think to release yeah. a game on there, like the guy he suggested, like five thousand dollars. I'd be like a thousand dollars. Yeah, five is a bit much, but I guess if you're, you know, the top grossing yeah. developer on the platform, then five thousand yeah. is. And I would also want it per game, not not necessarily a thousand dollars per game, yeah. but like. Maybe if you made it no, it has. To, it's got to be per game, you know, because otherwise yeah. you you pay the fee for one and then you release ten crap games or right. twenty four crap games afterwards. Right. You don't, um, you don't want to amortize that. But you, you know what this reminds me of? This no. is uh, way back. You ever heard of a game called Exile? Exile Two. No. Way back in the day, for the Turbo Graphics, this was a Turbo Graphics CD game, and. This, company called working designs translated um the game and they wanted to do retuning for the american release right and so the original japanese developer um basically said uh yes you can tune the game um we'll give you access to all our variables but you can only change them once (laughs) and guess what happened to the game Wow, so it got destroyed? Did it stop working? Or? So, well, the game worked, but what they tried to do is they tried to retune like all the enemy health and damage and so on. And because they were only permitted to do it once, the game is completely jacked up in difficulty. There's like when you, you get mean, to like the easy in parts and hard in others. Yeah, and... it's just like it's just totally schizophrenic. And I remember there's a there's a last boss fight. I don't know if it was the last boss fight or the first boss fight, but anyway, there was a boss fight. Where basically, like, you could take, like, maybe four hits before you die. And you really had to hit the guy, like, 60, 70 times. It was, I mean, it was like a 15-minute, 20-minute ordeal that was never intended to be that way. It was almost impossible because uh, they were they were only allowed to, to, to jack with the variables just once. Wow. All right. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. But uh, I, hope, I hope that Microsoft gives it another chance. That they... Well, I sure hope so. They don't what? just – you know what's funny? Don't just crap it out. That's the moral of the story. So Sony Sony has done this three times. And unfortunately, Sony never put the, the effort in in the beginning to actually make it accessible and make it good. But do you remember the, the PlayStation Yarose? Oh, yeah. Of course. How could I forget? Yeah. So I actually had access to like the Yarose community at some point because I knew someone who was in it and they gave me their password. Um, never used it, like never downloaded any of this stuff from it. But it was interesting. There was sort sort of a community there. And that was for the original PlayStation. Very few people were involved. You had to get like a special version of the system to oh, use yeah, it. Oh, yeah. I remember. You had to pay like five, six hundred bucks to get the dev kit. Something yeah. Crazy. yeah. It was a special like consumer version of the developer version of the kit or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then for PlayStation 2, they did the same thing when they released the uh the linux kit for it that's right which i have and have never used uh if you want it you know someone pitch pitch me a you know feel free to buy it and so (laughs) then with the playstation 3 they had linux built in right from the beginning and like they had some documentation with well with all of them there was documentation to help you get access to certain things but like uh you i know with the playstation 2 linux kit you couldn't get access to certain uh, graphics processing like you could just get the processor but not the emotion engine or something and so right, they because we wouldn't want all that power in the yeah they've they've always half-assed it from the beginning microsoft yeah. did a good job at the beginning and just didn't correct the problems they didn't follow through like cutting them out themselves out of the access of like the the developer community and and all of that was the dumbest thing i've ever read i i'm not but sure legal problems i'm not sure not why they did it that way but it sounds like there was some kind of like legal reason yeah exactly but you know what you can always get around any legal reason with more legal documentation or less perhaps yeah i don't um, understand why they couldn't have just said you know what there's this person and this person gets to say like what gets in and what doesn't and that's it yeah they why not? they certainly could have done something but yeah. they they chose not to but sony they had the idea early on, like years and years ago, that this is a good idea, but they they made it so inaccessible from the beginning that nobody got on. And then when they tried to more make make it more accessible, it just wasn't powerful enough. It was too niche. And then they altogether removed Linux from the PlayStation Three, which was 
stupid. It was really stupid. Well, who knows? Maybe people would have cracked the system more easily that way. But um, it, Sony has has thought that this was a good idea, but never really followed it. Microsoft said this is a great idea. We're going to follow it, and then ruined it. And I I just hope that they don't hang up their hats and say forget it from now on. Because if anything, the mobile market has demonstrated that it is uh, a huge, hugely beneficial market for everybody. It helps uh, the players. It helps the developers. We get great content, and we do have to sift through a bunch of junk, and it's hard to find new things, stuff that you want, but you end up finding good things in the end. So I just, We'll see. I hope they don't throw out the idea. I hope that... I actually hope that play, uh, Sony isn't, in fact, going to announce a PlayStation 4. You hope they the, aren't? On the 20th. I hope they aren't. I look at the consoles... I expected E3, but now it's like it, they each might want to one-up each other. Yeah, well, there's always that, right? But I'm always – it's funny because this generation, like, I'm just not wanting – I'm not left wanting for new hardware at all. Really? Well, I part totally of it's am. probably because I spent thousands of dollars on this current generation of hardware <laughs> with my ridiculous simulator. But Which we'll put – you want to put an image up on Facebook Yeah, tonight? let's put up a picture. All right. By the time you're hearing this, there should be a picture on our Facebook, facebook.com slash chatterboxvideogameradio. Put a picture of his three TV setup. Um, you know what? I, I forgot to mention for a second time today, the uh, UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology. I always got to say that a couple times. Um, so we'll have some images on Facebook. Our website is chatterboxgameshow.com. Still not updated. Uh, don't expect it to be anytime soon. Um, what else? Any Anything else going on? Big. Call us. Email us. 480-442-6321 is our number. Yeah, so uh, we'll be around next week. We might have to do some, some odd scheduling of shows because I'm going to be in and out of town quite a bit uh, in February, but we will make sure that we have shows as always. So, so that's it. End of the week. Good night, guys. Bye. listening to chatterbox video game radio tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming and remember all your base are belong to us